Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Grateful that you have taken some time out of your, uh, your Labor Day weekend to be with us today. Hope you get to do some uh, fun and exciting things over the course of the next 24 to 48 hours. And speaking of fun and exciting, how about our new sermon series, huh, in the book of Ephesians? Like how I did that right there? Labor Day sermon series thing. Anyway, I uh, hope you are enjoying as we are, uh, or, or growing and being encouraged as we are talking through and looking at uh, one of the books in the New Testament called the book of Ephesians. And as we've been studying that book the last couple of weeks, uh, hopefully you have realized that we're going to focus in on and zero in on our identity. Because more than any other book in the New Testament, uh, the book of Ephesians talks about what it means to be in Christ. We talk about being a Christian, but Paul kind of flips that and says, how about you understand it as as you are in Christ and how that one uh, factor, that one truth actually reshapes and redefines everything else about you. Yes, you have personality traits. Yes, you have passions. uh, Yes, you have professional pursuits. Yes, you have parental responsibilities. Yes, those things are part of your life, but the very core of your life, the essence of your life is the fact that as a Christian, you are in Christ. And that it literally changes, it changes everything about you. And it's the most important thing about you. So I'm excited to share with you some thoughts from chapters 4 and 5 this morning. Let me pray, though, as we uh, dive into that. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for some time, as Pastor Nathan said, to remember and reflect on you. When we keep our eyes on you, God, it's, it's as if everything else comes into focus. And so would that be true now with the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our minds, Look at you, see you, and be refocused. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, there are a few key moments in each of our lives where our status changes in an instant. And yet it takes a little bit longer than that. It takes some time for you to fully understand or appreciate or kind of live out that status change. And as I bring up the idea of a status change, I'm not talking about that drop-down box on Facebook, okay? It's a little bit bigger than that, a little bit more important than that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, take, for example, your wedding day. I vividly remember the, the moment that I said my vows to Becca, and said is a, a very kind term, because truth be told, I bawled through all of my vows. I mean, I was like a little baby girl in, in the middle of my wedding day. It was, it was just embarrassing. Uh, I was crying so hard, in fact, during the vows that at one point I turned to the pastor and I kind of mumbled out, whatever you said. And he looked at me and said, no, 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 no. You have to say it. But in that moment, I did say certain things like in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, for richer, for poorer, and boom. Right, I mean, in that moment, in the eyes of God and, be, and before all of the people that we were uh, inviting or had invited to our wedding, I was a husband. Just like that, my status changed. I mean, instantly. I went from a relatively irresponsible single guy who played a ton of Xbox and mooched off of his parents to a relatively irresponsible married guy who still played a ton of Xbox and now is mooching off my wife. <laughs> and all the husbands said, Amen to that, right? That's kind of how that worked. Um, But in that moment, I mean, in all seriousness, and in a very literal way, my status changed completely. I went from a kind of, you know, irresponsible young man who really only cared about myself to someone who God was now calling to care about this beautiful young bride. 
And I had no clue what that, what that status change entailed. I, I had really no clue what I was saying to or agreeing to in those moments. It took a while. You can ask Becca for proof of this. It took a while for that status change to take effect. I mean, who knew that, that new wives don't like SpaghettiOs or watching their husband play Halo all weekend? Who knew that? Oh, all of you knew that. Okay, awesome. Well, the same dynamic plays out when you become a parent for the very first time. Does it not? I mean, one moment you go from doing whatever you want, uh, going wherever you want, sleeping whenever you want, spending your money on whatever you want, and then suddenly this moment in time changes all of that. A little baby comes into the world, comes into your life, and your status changes completely, your schedule changes completely, your savings account changes completely, your sanity changes completely. Right? All in, 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 I mean, it happens in a flash. Now, that's easy for me to say because I wasn't the one birthing the child. Probably took a little bit longer for some of you than a flash, but it happened relatively quickly, did it not? And in a moment in time, your status changed completely. But it takes a while, new dads, new moms, for that status to take effect, doesn't it? To really sink in, for it to kind of work itself out. Uh, my good friend Dave Clayton out in Nashville tells the story of how a few days after becoming a new father, he was talking to his wife about their new schedule. And she said, hey, honey, now, now that the baby's here on Saturdays, his one day off, she was going to need him to stay home with the baby so she could go out and run errands and get all kinds of things done that she couldn't get done throughout the week. And he distinctly remembers looking at her and saying, I, I kid you not, I don't want to babysit on my days off. The wife turned to him and said, it's not called babysitting when it's your child. It's called parenting, you moron. You see, Dave's status had changed when the baby came, but it took a while for that new status to take effect. You following me? The single greatest example, though, of this instantaneous status change, at least in my opinion, is when someone comes to know God. When someone comes to give their life to Christ. See, in that moment, your status changes dramatically. That's what we've been looking at so far in the book of Ephesians. Paul has been teaching us in these first three chapters what exactly happened when you were in Christ. When you said yes to Jesus, it's this status change. I mean, look at all that is now true for you. When you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, you go from a sinner to a saint from dead to alive, from regretful to redeemed, from abandoned to adopted, from empty to empowered, from asleep to awakened, from guilt-ridden to saved by grace. And that's just the beginning. But you talk about a status change, I mean, that's it. Things changed for you when you said, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that as soon as you say that, friend, all of this is true for you. Your status changes in an instant. But the same thing that's true for new husbands or ignorant new fathers, well, it's also true for Christians, isn't it? Truth be told, in my own personal experience, has kind of uh, reiterated this, it takes some time to live into this new status, doesn't it? It doesn't just come naturally to us. I mean, you don't just know uh, the first day that you are a married man what it's like to be a responsible married man. And the first day that you're a, a parent, you just don't know what it's like. I don't want to babysit on my day off. It takes some time to figure out who you are. It takes some time to work in and work out this new reality, this new status. And I'm hoping that, that 
this is already really, really good news for you as a Christian, because here's why. Many of us, after falling into sin, or after struggling with something yet again, or after going through the motions for year after year, we, we look at our lives, and we look at our faith, and we, and we start to doubt if anything really happened when we became a Christian. Maybe that's not true for you. Maybe I'm overstating it, but maybe I'm not. You start to question whether or not your status really did change. And whether or not when you gave your life to Christ, if anything, if anything changed at all in that moment, like did Jesus really come through on all that stuff? Is all that really true for me? Did I really give my life? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Have you ever been there? You ever wondered if your salvation or your decision to become a Christian, if it really took effect, like really did anything to you inside? And if so, then why doesn't it look like it more? And if so, then why doesn't it feel like it more? So, so maybe, it, it, maybe it didn't happen back in the day. Well, I want you to hear this this morning, that the, sta- the Savior secured your status change on the cross. The Savior secured your change in status on the cross. Don't ever doubt or question that you are now all of those things on that board and more. It was signed, sealed, and delivered for you through the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All of those things are true for you. It's 100% take it to the bank guarantee. Your status changed. You are a husband now. You are a father. It's true. Now you just have to work out what that looks like. Now you have to kind of figure out how it's going to manifest itself in your day-to-day life. You are saved. Your status is so different right now. Do never question that. Do not question whether or not that's true for you. But now that you are saved, now you enter into a process that we call sanctification. This is the process of living in your new status. This is the process of not eating SpaghettiOs anymore with your new wife, but maybe taking her out to dinner. This is the process of not considering babysitting your responsibility on Saturday, but, you know, but being a father. This is the process of becoming who you are. And what happens with new dads, those should be making headway and strides to becoming and looking more like this new person that you are. This saved, adopted, loved, redeemed, forgiven, empowered, gifted person. I should start to see that in you over the course of time. Right? It's understandable when a young 20-something is rather clueless when he first gets married. I mean, you get that. But 10 years into the marriage... 20 years into the marriage, the dude's still playing Halo and asking his parents to do his laundry, something's wrong. If that describes you, come find me or our counselors right after service, okay? 20 years into your marriage, still playing, okay. You should change over the course of time. And that's the question I want to ask this morning is, are you changing? Are you starting to embody this new status of yours? As you look back on the course of your life for the last couple of years, do you feel like you are more and more like Jesus than you were before? See, God is very patient with us, but in the power of his spirit, he expects us to make progress. He wants us to live in and live out this new status. A pastor friend of mine was interviewing for a job one time, and this guy named Frank came up to him after one of his lessons, and Frank just went off. On my friend. I mean, he just ridiculed him. He rebuked him for what he said. He was, he was impatient with my friend. He was mean spirited. I mean, he was degrading. Frank was just a mean man. 
Well, my friend was caught off guard, as you can imagine, in that, in that moment. And so some people in the church came up and said, oh, no, no, don't worry. Don't worry about him. That's just Frank. That's just the way he is. Well, my friend assumed that Frank had just become a Christian and had just started coming, just started coming to the church. And everybody was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Frank, Frank has been a part of this church and a Christian for over 40 years. To which my friend replied, then you all should be very worried about Frank. Because over the course of time, God expects him to look more like Jesus. And from what I've seen, that is not true. I don't think he got the job at that church. But I think his statement is true. You and I should look over the course of time more and more like the people Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 says we are. We are adopted. We are loved. We are rooted in grace. We are chosen. We are gifted and a gift to us. We are all of these things. Do you look like it? Are you living like it? Hear me out now. It won't happen overnight, but it does need to happen over time. So there's a lot of grace in this statement, is there not? It doesn't happen overnight. You don't look like Jesus the very next minute after you give your life to him. But it does need to happen over the course of time. And so those who are new Christians, you're like, okay, whew, I get it now. This is why it's hard, because you have to f kind of figure out what's going on. And those of you who have been in the church for 40 or 50 years, maybe you're like, oh, no. I think that's the point of what Ephesians 4 and 5 is to do to us is to challenge us, are we looking more like Jesus? Do we look more like him over the course of time? You are chosen by God. You are adopted in love. You are saved by grace. You are gifted and a gift. Do you look like it? Do you live like it? Well, let's find out. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. You have a Bible? Open it there. If not, just follow along on the screen. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Jesus. So Paul begins this section by challenging, even commanding God's people to not live like the Gentiles. It doesn't really make sense to us. What he's saying is, don't live like the unbelieving world that's all around you. Paraphrase, don't live like Americans. Don't live like them. Why? Why would he say that? Because they are confused. They are misguided. Their minds are darkened to the truth. Their hearts are hardened to God. And thus their pleasures and their passions and this hunger for power, it controls them. It enslaves them. Right? The unbelieving world does whatever comes easy, whatever comes natural, whatever feels good. They allow these temporary, selfish, fleeting desires to control their lives. Paul says that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of the cross. That is not the way of the sacrificial life and death of Jesus. We just, we just remembered that in communion. That's not the way of Christ. No, 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 no. That should not describe you. Verse 22, so throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly 
righteous, and holy. Again, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul says that in light of who you are now in Christ, in light of this enormous eternal status change that is true for you, live in and live out all of this. Right? You, have, you have a role to play. You have a job to do. There's something that Paul's asking of, and, and the ask is take off. Take off the things of the world. Take them off. They're ugly. They're gross. Take them off. I mean, it's so random, right? Just take it off. Take off your old self, which is just weird, and it doesn't match, and it's hot, and it smells gross, right? You, you can't just sit back and, and hope that Jesus takes form in your life. You've got to take some things off. And all the thrift store items that I'm taking off right now represent who we are, right, outside of Christ. We put on selfishness and sin, short sight. We put it on, and it's gross, and it's ugly. And the deeper we go, the uglier it gets, right? And you've got to take it up. The language Paul uses there is literally throw it off. Throw off the things that are not of Jesus. Just throw it off because you need to be pure and clean. Throw it off and put on I think my real shirt was in there. <laughs> Hold that thought. Jesus is somewhere. There he is. And put on, put on the things of Christ. But it's an, it, it's an active engagement. You with me? You can't just sit back and hope that's just going to happen to you. Oh, it's much better. You have to be involved in this, in this process. I was wearing a, an interesting outfit because I wanted to show you. That's, that's what a lot of us look like spiritually. We're clothed in the world. And we're just expecting that over time, God will just kind of miraculously change us into his likeness. No, you have to be active in the process. You have to take off, throw off the things that are of this world and put on Christ. It's not up to you, but, but God is going to partner with you in this process. I want to look at a few pieces of clothing that Paul says you got to take off as soon as you, as soon as you can. That's really what the next 20 or 30 verses in Ephesians are all about. He's going to describe for us what all that, that clothing looks like. So, so follow with me. We're going to go pretty fast through this. 425, take off lying and falsehood. Take it off. Throw it off and put on truth. Take off the inherent tendency that most of us have to twist the truth, to bend the truth, to distort the truth to hide the truth, and put on honesty. Put on transparency and candor. Throw off lying. Little tiny lies, ginormous lies, anything in between. Take it off and put on truth. 426 and 27, take off anger and put on peace. Take off the aggressive feelings or thoughts that you have towards certain people especially those on the other side of the fence or other side of the political party, the other side of the border from you. Take it off and put on peace. Remove this rage and irritability you have when things don't look like you want them to or feel like you want them to, when they don't go your way. Take off the, the animosity you have when you're hurt or inconvenienced some way. Take it off. Throw it off 
and put on loving kindness, long-suffering, the desire to bring about harmony instead of adding to the hatred that's all around us. Take off 428, stealing, and put on productivity, Paul says. Take off the bench you have to take what you want even though you can't afford it. Take off the bit you have to, to grab what is new and finance it or, or, or go into all kinds of crazy debt to have it or to take some things from your employer because they're really never going to notice or make some extra deductions on your taxes. We steal just as much as anybody else. Don't do that. Take that off. Take off the tendency you have to get what you want even though it's not yours. Take that off and put on this desire to work hard to contribute to society as opposed to just take things from society. Take it off. Throw it off. 429, take off unwholesome talk and put on words of encouragement. Paul says take off coarse and foul language, critical condemning words, ugly passive-aggressive tweets. Take them off. Take off arguments and slander. Take it, take it off and throw those things off. And instead, put on words of grace and love. A literal reading of 429 would say, take off your foul-smelling, rotten fish words. And instead, put on words that smell so good to the Lord. Take off that gross stuff that you've been saying about other people to other people. Take it off. Take it off and put on grace and love. Five, three, take off sexual immorality and put on holiness. Take off the shameful acts of masturbation, pornography, premarital sex, extramarital sex. Take it off. And instead, put on the belief that you are holy. Your body is a chosen instrument of the Lord. It needs to be beautiful and pure and protected. Take off this sex-crazed, sex-driven mentality that we live in. Take it off. And put on holiness, a desire to be pure, a desire to do what is right and good. Five, four, take off obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking and put on thanksgiving. Take off the words and phrases and jokes that are demeaning of others or degrading or just downright dirty and put on thanksgiving and gratitude. Take off the tendency you have to quote that sitcom you binge watched last night and instead how about you give a song of praise or quote the scripture. Take off just talking for talking's sake and put on words that matter. You with me? Yeah, take it off. 5, 18, and 19, take off drunkenness and put on a spirit-filled life. Take off a lifestyle where you drown out the problems of your life through different spirits and instead figure out what the power of life is through the spirit. You with me? Forget different liquids, be filled with living water, the Spirit of the Lord. Don't get drunk. Take that off of you and instead put on the Holy Spirit. It's quite the list, isn't it? But as a Christian, you are called to literally take things off of you and put on the things of Christ. Now, here's how I want to say it. We accept the gift of salvation, do we not? It's a gift by grace. Ephesians 2 told us that. We just accept that. But we are called to be active in the process of sanctification. You accept the gift of salvation, but you have to be active 
in the process of sanctification. I just want to speak to our older crowd right now. We're going to do a generational series here in a couple of weeks. Super excited to talk about every generation that's represented here at West Bowles. Um, highlighting them and showcasing who they are, how the Lord has used them. I just want to speak to the older crowd, just, just real fast. You guys have to model this for us. It should be the older crowd, in my opinion, in a church that is leading by example, not the one that demands the most time because they're the ones chirping the most or complaining the most or having the most issues or problems. And they, Guys, you need to model for us what it looks like to, over the course of time, look more like Jesus. We need you to show us a life that is on a trajectory of holiness and sacrifice and servitude and grace. Show us that, older congregation. Come on. This group right here, they need that from you. They need it from you. So this list that Paul gives, uh, it's, it's a list, I think, of the most destructive and detrimental sins that were part of his day. Um, it's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's a list that's meant to be law. Like, this is it. Once you figure out this list, you're good to go. I think the text actually asks us to imagine or maybe even add to the list. How about this? Take off the screen addiction and put on some interpersonal, multi-generational conversation. Take off materialism and put on minimalism. Take off your pride and arrogance as seen in your nationalism, racism, sexism, and ageism and put on humility. Take off your apathy towards the world's problems and put on action. Take off consumerism and put on concern for others. See where I'm going with this? The list can go on and on and on. But there are a lot of things in your life that you've got to take off if you want to look like Jesus. And it's not just going to happen. You've got to take it. You've got to throw it off. Maybe you got to rip that sucker off. But the point is all the same. Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. Therefore, Paul says, as dearly loved children, because of your new status, he says, live a life of love, just like Christ, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, church, you are saved. Live like it. You are loved. Live like it. You are adopted by God. Live like it. You are predestined for greatness. Live like it. You are gifted. Live like it. You are forgiven. Live like it. You are redeemed. Live like it. You are in Christ. Live like it. Take off your old self and put on Jesus. It's not going to happen overnight, is it? But it needs to happen over time. It's a process, but we have to be making progress in the process. And I think you will find, as I sat back there for 20 minutes, like <gasps> sweating with that stupid sweater on, you will find being clothed in Christ, it's so much better. That, that new suit you got on of Christ, oh, it matches your status. So much better. So as we end our time together this morning, here's a couple of questions I'd love for you to write down or take a picture of this slide. This is what I want you to think about, reflect on, maybe pray about this, these next few days, okay? What specific things on that list that we went through, what specific things do you need to take off as a Christian? What are you wearing that reeks of the world? What are you wearing that just looks so silly on you 
as a Christian. And then the flip side of that is what specifically do you need to put on as a Christian? I don't want you to stand up there bare-chested, put something else on. What else can you put on in Christ because of Christ, through Christ? What do you need to put on this week as a believer? And then last but not least, does your life imitate or look like the unbelieving world? Or does it look like and imitate Jesus? The love of God. The adoption that is yours. The love that God has for you. What does it imitate? What does it look like? What does it smell like? Spend some time this week. Dive into chapters 4 and 5 in Ephesians. Hey, your status changed instantly when you said, I do. Your status changed instantly when they said, it's a girl. And your status changed instantly when you said, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. Your status changed instantly in those moments. But like a new father, like a new husband, it's going to take some time for your new status to take effect. And you will make a lot of mistakes along the way, like SpaghettiOs and Halo. You'll make a lot of mistakes. But over time, if you continually strive to take off the things of this world and put on the things of Christ, your status your status will match your new suit. It's going to look so good on you. That's how God designed you to look in the first place. Let me pray that over you. We'll get you out of here. God, thank you so much that you came to us when we were clothed in so much of the world. God, that's a really nice way to say it. We were dead in our sins, but, but the analogy today is that of clothing, God. We were covered in, in sin and shame and stupidity and short-sightedness and selfishness. God, we were just covered, we were clothed in that stuff. Man, we had 10 layers deep of that on, God. And you came to us and you said, that's not who you are. That's not who I made or called you to be. And you saved us out of that, God. You made us holy and pure and good and righteous. You made us saints. You adopted us in love. Lord, you rooted us in grace. God, there's nothing that can stand against us. We are no longer those people. But now, God, it's up to us to take off that clothing, to take off the old self. It's going to happen through the power of the Spirit. And so I pray over this audience right now, God, that the Holy Spirit would rush into their hearts in ways maybe it never has before, that the Spirit would convict them. Even in this moment, they are wearing something that is not of you. And with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, make them sick to their stomach until they take it off. Would the Holy Spirit empower them to rip that thing off and throw it away, God? And would the Holy Spirit make it so that we would put on the things of Christ, that we would look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus, that our outfit would be so evident. We are in Jesus, and he is in us. So make it now where Wes Bowles removes and takes off and throws away the old things, the old ways of life. And would you clothe us with Christ? Please make it so. And for those, God, who are in this room right in this moment who have never said yes to Jesus, Lord, I don't, I don't like their status much right now at all. Their status is one of judgment. Their status is one of death. Their status is one of condemnation, God. Would you help them to experience that instantaneous, eternal status change right now in this very moment? Would those who have never said it before say these words, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. And we're excited for them to start living in and living out this new status. Help us as believers 
especially the more seasoned ones, to model that for our younger brothers and sisters in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.